We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Irish Breakdown. Welcome back, fans, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown podcast. We're going to talk Notre Dame Syracuse today. We're going to talk Tommy Reese. We're going to talk Al Golden Ryan. We got lots of cool stuff to talk about today. I can't wait for another show. Notre Dame is now three days away from taking on the 16th ranked Syracuse Orange in what is a a huge game, Ryan. A huge game before uh, before they then take on Clemson a week later. You know, we talked a lot about Syracuse being a trap game during the summer. Because you and I both thought they would have a, they had a really good run game and a really good defense. And lo and behold, they have a really good run game and a really good defense. Some other parts of their team have improved from what they were last year, which is why Syracuse has already topped their win total from last season. They're already bolt eligible with still a week left in the month of October. Dino Babers doing a great job of really salvaging his tenure there at Syracuse. There was some thought that if they don't turn things around now, he could really be on the hot seat. And boy, have they turned things around this season. It's going to be a big, big test for Notre Dame. And today, Ryan, we're going to talk about the matchup, the statistical matchup between Notre Dame and Syracuse, and then some of the, the personnel matchups that could have a big impact on those on those statistical matchups. But first, Ryan, I want to I want to talk a little bit about a couple things that we heard yesterday and last night in the Notre Dame press conferences. It's a comment from Tommy Reese and a comment from Al Golden that that I want to kind of speak to a little bit, Ryan, because there are things that you and I were talking about. And so we'll talk about those just, just here for a little bit, and then we'll jump into the statistical matchup. And then, of course, we will have our mailbag. So leave those mailbag questions uh, in there, obviously, is right now, and we'll get to those. And Super Chats obviously get moved to the top of the line as, as best we can. But, Ryan, I want to talk about a couple things that were brought up in last night's press conference. And somebody asked about the lack of big plays in the run game. Mm-hmm. And then talked about how is wide receiver blocking the issue. And, and, you know, the question spoke to a reality of this Notre Dame rushing attack, which is, I mean, when you look at the lack of big plays and the lack of really quarterback production in the run game since Tyler Buckner's gotten hurt, not that Drew Pine, I mean, he's he's not losing a bunch of sack yards. He's ripped off a couple scrambles, right? He had, a, a, I think, like a 21-yard scramble, I believe, against UNLV this weekend. But you're not getting that high volume of production 
And yet over the last four games, Notre Dame is averaging, I believe, a little over 200 yards a game rushing. So you look at that and you think, you know, they're doing that with really no big plays in the run game. I mean, there's no 50, 60-yard runs. I think the I think the longest run of the season this year so far, Ryan, is like in, I think, in the 30s, correct, I mm-hmm. believe, is, is one of the longest runs that Notre Dame has had this year. They don't even really rip off a lot of 20-yard runs, to be honest with you. They've had a, a couple here and there. No, actually, you had the 46-yard gain at the end of the BYU game. But that was kind of after you had kind of worn BYU down a little bit. You had the uh, the long run from Audrey Estimate. Longest run for Logan Diggs is 33, also from the BYU game. Longest run for Chris Tyree is only 19 yards. So there's there's clearly some issues with big plays. And Tommy Reese talked about it, and he says, well, you know, it's it's – it's a lot of different things, and it's complicated, and there's more to it than just receiver blocking. I would say the receiver blocking is an issue. But mm-hmm. I think there's bigger issues, Ryan, and I think it, it goes to – you want to talk about the, the lack of big plays. It's, it's, it's really not that complicated at all, to be honest with you. It's the fact that what Marcus Freeman said you have to force teams to do, Notre Dame is not doing. And what he said was is you have to force teams to defend 53 and a third, which is the, the width of a football field. The reality is neither the Notre Dame run game nor the Notre Dame pass game do anything to create any threat to the perimeter. And this isn't a downfield perimeter. We're talking about they do nothing schematically. They don't run RPOs. They don't run bubble screens. They don't run anything that makes you really defend the width of the field. That combined with the fact they condense their formations and everything is kind of right up the middle and there's nothing that forces any kind of width run game scheme-wise to create any running lanes, those are the reasons that they don't have long runs. So I would argue that the the lack of long runs has a lot more to do with how the offense is constructed and called than it Mm -hmm. has to do with anything related to blocking, reads, downfield blocking, things along those lines. Maybe a run here or there could have been longer with that. Sure, no doubt. We were very critical of the run blocking against BYU, for example. But this goes much deeper than than that specific stuff, and it has more to do with just the foundation of, of what the offense is. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I never dreamed I would talk this much about coffee, especially since I'm not really a coffee drinker. But ever since we first tried trade coffee, my coffee-loving wife is not only hooked, but I've even started to drink coffee. And I've got my mom hooked on it as well. Let me tell you about trade coffee. It's a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before. 
is they partner with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. Their team of experts do all the work, taste testing hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. I've told you about our collection. The rich, sweet flavor of the Big City Roast from Joe Coffee, the full flavor of the Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters where you can actually taste the malted milk balls. We love it. And if what I got isn't up your alley, don't worry. Trade will have whatever it is that you want. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile, or you can take the coffee quiz like we did and get expertly matched with the coffees that you'll love. Trade is the easiest way to get your very best tasting coffee delivered fresh when you need it. You've got nothing to lose because Trade guarantees you will love your first bag. If not, they'll work with you to replace it for free. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order, plus free shipping at drinktrade.com irish. That's drinktrade.com irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the world. Give it a shot. I, I mean, Brian, I mean, you said it perfectly. I mean, I even think, look, when people because every week that you pop on a game and it's like oh just like an inside zone bust through the first and second level and then there's just nobody home right and they just take it for six and this is talking about like the landscape of college football your thought process needs to go why is that happening right why is the third level vacated it's because you have to now have you have to have support to defend the perimeter i mean the game and how it's played today you see so much stretch, outside zone, bubble screams, working from the slot, RPO action. There's so many things that pull players from the middle to have to, to overcompensate to the outside. Notre Dame doesn't do that. And it's not even that they don't do it successfully. It's literally they don't do it. I mean, we were losing our minds last game because they had two they did two RPOs in a football game. Like it's just we're losing our minds. Now, in fairness, they did call a couple more. But sure. they didn't throw them, but it wasn't enough to where it's going to impact the defense at all, Ryan, to your point. Exactly. And and I had a conversation with someone. It was either last night or this morning. Days blur together now. It's it's awful. As I get older, days are just blurring more and more together. But someone asked me, and, and it was the same thing, Brian. It was an outside perspective, and they said, you know, Notre Dame just looks like they don't have much speed. And I'm like, well, Chris Tyree in the 2020 cycle was probably the fastest kid that came out of high school football, right? And you just mentioned it a 19-yard run on the season, and I quickly go to the fact of, like, why – and we've talked about this ad nauseum, right? Chris Tyree has been relegated to an A-gap duo runner. Why is he not a guy that's getting some opportunities in buck sweep? Stretches, outside zone, jets even occasionally I would be okay with. There's just – no. you're not using the players that have the speed and the dynamic ability necessary to threaten the corner, and with with if there's no threat – if I'm a defense that plays a lot of too high safeties, right, too high alignments, why would I vacate that and roll players down to being a slot defender if there's no threat of anything ever getting to the slots, like at that point, right? It's a numbers game at that department. So it's I think it's telling that two running backs that had the longest runs of the, of the season out of the top three backs are Audrey Gastamay and Logan Diggs, who are – your two slowest running backs, and they're not slow in terms of like in a vacuum, right. but compared to a four-three Chris Tyree, 
their slower backs, right? So, I, I again, it's just the emphasis has not been there. And, you know, I mean, first and foremost, of the comments, I was – it. it it ticked me off because me and Brian didn't even talk about it. And he, you know, before the podcast, he's like, what did you think? And that was the first thing we talked about, man. The first thing I brought up was the fact of like, one, perimeter blocking has not been good. If we're being completely honest, like we're, it has not been good. And two, you're also not helping your offense. You are a part of the issue. And I agree that it's not – there's layers to why it hasn't been successful. But at, the, at, at, at a point, and we've talked about this so much, coaches need to be real with themselves. You need to look at yourself in the mirror and saying – why is this happening? Why is this? Am I the problem? Am I an issue? And in my response would be, you are part of the issue. You are a big part of the issue. So there has to be some self-evaluation, Brian. I mean, we're getting to the point where we are now in game, what, what is this? They're four and three. Going so we're going to game, game eight. eight yeah. And we're still asking ourselves, is this going to happen? And I am getting less and less convinced that it's going to happen, if I'm being honest. Well, and that's the frustrating thing is because it's not hard to see, you know, and you talked about, there's this constant discussion. We hear it from Notre Dame media, national media, fans, everybody, your buddy. Notre Dame doesn't have speed. We talked about Chris Tyree. Logan Di- uh, Lorenzo Styles is on the freaks list for Bruce Feldman because of his crazy numbers and his testing numbers and his, uh, his you know, miles per hour numbers on the GPS, right? Well, Braden Lindsay, we all know, is he's at least fast. You know, you can question a lot of things, but he's fast. I think Tobias Merriweather and his limited opportunities have shown he can get over top of a defense. So, but it's how you use that speed that makes it not fast. When Chris Tyree is just running inside A-gap runs nonstop with no threat of cutbacks or things like that or, or no, you know, made this play, he's running A-gap, but the next play he's running outside and the next play he's running a wheel route, things like that, then guess what? He's not going to be an effective big play guy. So you've got to – again, we say this all the time. It's about take your talent and then use it correctly. Use it to play – you know. Tommy Reese talked about, he's talked about this year. He's talked about, hey, you know, we we work the, you know, the town of our players into the system. It's player driven. That's lip service because the the offense you're running is not geared toward utilizing the players that you have. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's it's it looks a lot like the offense you had a couple years ago, you know, which was a very boring doll offense in 2020. You're just throwing it up to, you know, Javon McKinley and, and stuff like that. You're not using that. Well, those are bigger receivers. And so it is, it is frustrating to see that, but you can't just keep everything here in a box and then wonder why there's always just one more guy that you can block in the run game. You know, start running RPOs effectively. Start beating teams with, with screens. Start doing those kind of things, and all of a sudden, you're going to see those. I mean, look, Jack Cohn had a long touchdown run last year against North Carolina, <laughs> right? Yeah. What did Notre Dame do that game? They hit multiple RPOs in that game. They hit multiple crossing routes in that game. They had North Carolina chasing which left this huge hole for an, a quarterback that ran a – what did he run, like a five-flat at the combine? It was like 4-9 something, like something. Yeah, right? it was close. Run yeah. like 20-plus yards for a touchdown. Jack Cohn had a longer run last year as for a touchdown than Chris Tyree has in, through seven games in 2022. And you're going to tell me it's a talent or a speed problem. All right? Yeah. And, and so that's the frustrating thing. And that was kind of discouraging to me because it felt like – I mean, that's kind of, you know – what we've seen for seven games. And it didn't sound like the, that he kind of got it. Like somebody asked on the board, like how does Tommy Reese not see it? And my, my whole thing was, Oh, he sees it. Right. Mm-hmm. He, it's like, I, I'll say it again. You can see someone's sick. We all identify that this person is sick. We all see the symptoms of the sickness. 
But can you identify what the sickness is or where it came from? If you can't do that, you can't fix it. You can't medicate it if you don't know what is causing it. Right. Right. And that's the problem. It's it's I think that there's still a thought of, well, it's not me. It's not the game plan. It's not this. It's them or it's this other thing. It's Drew not doing this or so and so not doing that. And that's just not how it works. And you want to have bigger run plays, spread the field out formationally and schematically. And I'm not even talking about just going 11 personnel. Do it out of 12 personnel. Start right. putting Michael Mayer backside more. Start putting him outside more. Start going three by one with Michael Mayer in the slot and Mitchell Evans attached so you can still have that backside edge secured if you want to run the football in a certain way. Or if you want to run duo, you still have the frontside edge secured. There's plenty mm-hmm. of things you can do out of 12 personnel that can also create some of those opportunities. So until that gets addressed, Ryan, we're going to be kind of having the same the same problems. Well, and Brian, I would say this, right? We've talked about this process also, you know, being process driven versus being results driven, right? And I, I do think there's probably some part of Tommy Reese that, and this isn't, this is flawed thinking. I'm not like giving him a pass on this, but I'm sure there's part of him that's saying like, nope, I trust my process. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. And then eventually it'll kind of break through the wall. But at the end of the day, and I've talked about this on Twitter, it's on, it's result. Yes, it, the process is more important than the results. But if you're not getting results, then you need to fix your process, right? Your process is flawed in that instance, right? And I think that's what we're seeing is that there's a flawed process that isn't arriving at a, at a result. And we're not having enough self-awareness to say, hey, my process is flawed to begin with. I need to reevaluate and change that process. That's what kind of the end result is. And again, we we're, we've harped on Tommy Reese a ton. We've harped on him. We've given compliments, you know, because I do think he's a smart guy. There's no question. Like this is nothing to do with football intelligence. I think there's just some lack of self evaluation here. I think there's a lack of understanding of what is going to make you successful. I truly do. I don't think that this is just something where Tommy Reese isn't smart enough to understand a problem and fix it. I just think that you only see a problem if you if you believe that there is a problem that exists. And I just don't think that there's a, that he believes there's a problem that exists right now, which is frustrating. There was another comment that was made about Al Golden and, and he talked a lot about Syracuse in his press conference. And I thought he, you know, you can kind of tell they got a pretty good handle on who Syracuse is right. And, and how, he kind of went on this long tangent of all the different things Sean Tucker does. And I'm like, yep, <laughs> that's what makes this kid really hard to defend, as we'll talk about during today's show. But one of the things he said at the end, Ryan, I thought kind of like, okay, now we understand why this team keeps making these mental mistakes and giving up big plays. And I want to read the direct quote because I, I want to get it spot on correct. I don't want to be, I don't want to kind of miss this, Ryan. So I'm going to actually read the direct quote. Uh, that he gave and it was almost it was like kind of like a throwaway comment at the end and honestly I didn't even pick up on it at first until I trying to was transcribing it last night for an article and here's what he said he was talking about somebody asked him about uh, you know Syracuse and Clemson and he brought it back to where I thought I mean he really it was a good comment from a a big picture standpoint but there's one part of it that I didn't like he was trying to say, look, I'm not worried about Syracuse and Clemson. And uh, you know, we're just focused on getting better today. And, and, he, and so he said something. He said, you know, right now it's really about winning today, doing everything we can to prepare, have urgency in the way we prepare, know that we don't have time to, to redo a play because someone didn't know what they were doing. 
and hopefully carry that into a game. Now, he had a lot of things that he was talking about yesterday, and he talked about how he felt the install yesterday was really good, how he really felt like they're they're you know on a good grasp, which is two practices in now, right? Because they they'll have a, a practice either on Sunday or Monday plus Tuesday. And you know, they don't practice on Sunday and Monday, they'll do one or the other. I'm not I would assume this week, since they were at home, they practice on Sunday night. Right. Monday off means practice yesterday. So that was good. But that last comment, Ryan, kind of kind of caught me off guard a little bit because he was basically admitting that, like, you know we're not we're just we're out here trying to get as many plays run as possible and 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 right. scheme 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 and we don't have time to redo a play because you got something wrong and that kind of bothered me a little bit and it was like, like mm-hmm. that explains why this team can because here's what we can say about this learning defense for 80 percent of, of plays in every game they've played this year at least 80 they have been dominant mm-hmm. like dominant like really good at times as good as any Notre Dame defense we've seen since 2018 reason why this is the best cover secondary we've seen since 2018 would you agree with that right with especially since Benjamin Morrison's been inserted into the lineup as a starter but even against Ohio State he played a good a good amount of football this Mm -hmm. is the this secondary is the best to just flat out just go out and cover people right which is why you you don't see them get beat a lot down the field and when it has it's usually been blown assignments blown coverages yes. but then there's the other tw- 10 to 20 percent depending on the game and those mm-hmm. plays are so bad that it's it's the things that allow this defense to kind of rank where they do and is we'll dive into the numbers but this team when they're on is so much better than what their statistics show and it says a lot about why they're not able to make red zone stops and they're able, they're giving up the big plays when they shouldn't be giving up big plays because you're so focused on the scheme and what you're doing schematically that you've kind of lost sight of. This is still about teaching kids how to do things at a very high level fundamentally. And, right. and, and that's kind of what was, I'm a big believer that if I got to run something five times in a row to get it right. And this is what I think makes Harry, he a great offensive line coach. I mean, this is, you've seen, you've seen it now firsthand if he's got to run a play 10 times in a row for somebody to get it right, then that's what we're going to do. Because I know when we're done that they're going to know how to run that play really, really well. We Mm -hmm. get third and one. I know we can run that play because we rep the heck out of it during practice. That kind of concerned me a little bit. It it, it shows that, that he does have a lot of that NFL mentality in him, which is much more scheme driven than how to play the game driven. Right. I mean, we, we talk about that a ton, right? I mean, college is much more, I'm going to teach you, right? Like I'm a teacher at heart. That's that's kind of the progression that happens. NFL, you expect 22 to 24-year-old kids to be able to come to you and be able to do the little things, right? Do the basics. Do that, and then I will put you in my scheme, and then I will accentuate the strengths that you have. But I don't have time to really improve strengths or turn weaknesses into strengths on the NFL level. If a guy's struggling that bad, you cut them and you find another one, right? Like that's that's just kind of the NFL mentality. College football, I mean, you're you're building this roster to hopefully have these kids for four to five years. And now with COVID, even six years in some instances, right? So you're you are really developing and teaching at a much higher rate, which I think that, and I agree with you, and we talked about this before we started, that I think that there is a little bit of Al Golden right now that's 
that's being very NFL-driven, very scheme-driven versus player-driven. And I think that that's a perfect example. It's like the, the saying, right, Brian? And I've always really kind of parlayed to this and, you know, just from my coaching background is that I would rather be really good at a few things than average to below average at a lot of things, right? Like that. that right now, I think that there's just too much of across the board not doing things well enough attention to detail those things are being missed which is why against North Carolina you see a couple blown coverages because you're not coached up well enough on to either get the call or play the coverage correctly so those things I think are kind of falling through the cracks a little bit because there's more of an attention of detail of hey I need to run this certain this coverage X amount of times in practice, I don't have time to add two more times to the docket if we run it incorrectly. So I do think that there's some inconsistency in that area, much more scheme-driven than player-driven, it does seem, by that comment. So, Ryan, we agree on that. So what I want to do next is I want to dive into this matchup between Notre Dame and Syracuse because I do think it's a very, very fascinating matchup. I think there's a lot about this matchup that you look at and say – you know, man, I really think that Notre Dame's got a shot to win this game when I look at certain things. And then you look at other aspects and you're like, yeah, this is this this is gonna be a <laughs> this is gonna be a rough game. Because in a lot of ways, this is one of those games where it's just gonna come down to, you know, I've had people ask me, what's your prediction for Saturday? I said, I really haven't made one yet because I'm still working through the film and and all those different types of things. I said, but the the thing about it is, though, it just depends on which version of Notre Dame shows up. And that's what makes this particular part of the matchup challenging because when you look at some of these numbers, there's going to be games you're like, well, if that pass offense shows up, then Notre Dame's going to be okay. But if that pass offense shows up, they're going to be in trouble. If this defense shows up, then they're going to have a rough day. If this defense shows up, Syracuse is going to have trouble scoring. So those are the things you look at. I mean, look, Notre Dame gave up as many points to UNLV as they did Ohio State. You know, they, they they gave up more points to Marshall. Well, not technically because they gave up 19, but they gave up almost as many points to Marshall and Cal as they did Ohio State. They gave up all, they gave up almost as many points to BYU as they did Ohio State because every game is the same way. Lots of really good football mixed in with about five or six, like, what was that type of yes. plays? And so it really makes this a fascinating, fascinating matchup. So I want to dive right into it, Ryan, and let's talk about sort of the run game versus you know, run defense, all those type of matchups between Notre Dame and Syracuse. And I think it's going to be very, very interesting to look at the numbers. As I was putting this together yesterday and today and really diving into the stats, you really start to see, you really start to see kind of, okay, this matchup's going to be really interesting because Syracuse is really good at certain things. So let's, let's just jump right into it, Ryan. And we're going to begin with the Notre Dame rushing offense against the Syracuse rush defense. Now, we were talking before, Ryan, and I don't know if we said this during the show, but it's really interesting to see how good Notre Dame's rush offense has been recently when you mm-hmm. consider that they don't have the big plays. Yeah. And, you know, you look at, at the, the – they're, they're a tale of two teams. You know, at times, like early in the season, their rush offense was not good. You know, you took talking about a team, Ryan, that in the first three games of the season averaged, I think it was 100 and – let's see here. You averaged 117.7 yards per game. In the last four games, however, even with the Stanford performance in view, Notre Dame has averaged 223.5 yards per game in the last four games. They've gone over 200 yards three times. And so you look at it and say, well, 
you know, is Notre, which who is Notre Dame? And you'd like to say, well, they're the team that's rushing for 203 last four games. And then you say, yeah, but what happened against Stanford? And that's the, you know, that's the, again, that's the thing that makes this really difficult to, to break down because it, it just, you can't really say that because of that, that one performance. And then you look at Syracuse and their rush defense has been pretty good this year, Ryan, statistically. Uh, yep. 137 yards to Louisville, 97 yards to Connecticut, 61 yards to Purdue, 149 yards to Virginia, 31 yards to Wagner, and then a hundred or 95 yards to NC State. Right? Those are all pretty good numbers, Ryan. And then there's yep. last week, and even when Clemson could throw the ball last week, they still ripped Syracuse up and rushed for 293 yards. So you have to ask yourself, okay. As I as I look at as I look at Clemson's schedule, right? I mean, uh, you look, excuse me. If you look at uh, uh, Syracuse's schedule and you look at the teams they played, you know Louisville this year so far ranks thirty second in the country in rushing. It's pretty good, right? And they did a really good job keeping them in check, and for the most part, since then Louisville's been pretty good. You know, Connecticut's ranks 39th in the nation in rushing offense. Uh, so obviously they're they're pretty good. Then you've got Purdue and and uh, Virginia ranked low. Virginia is ninety first. Purdue is ninety sixth, uh, and then you have NC State, who's ninetieth. So they've played. You you can't really do the whole. Well, it's 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 misleading because they beat up a bunch of bad teams that don't run the football that well because they shut down Louisville and and UConn, who both run the football pretty well. So it. You kind of ask yourself, okay, what which version of Syracuse are you going to get? Was last week an anomaly, or did Clemson kind of finally figure something out that NC State I thought could have if they had more of a pass attack to take some of the pressure off the run game? Because I think that's something that hurt them. But obviously, this is going to be another big test for the Syracuse defense. On paper, Ryan, obviously Syracuse I think gets the advantage overall, slight advantage overall to me mm-hmm. when you look at the on paper matchup. But I think that if you look at the last really four games in view, I think you kind of got to come close to making this an even call, Brian, when you look at the numbers, because the last four games, Notre Dame has been much more effective running the football. And I think the other thing, too, is Notre Dame has done a very good job, which talk about turning things around. The, think of the tackles for loss and the sacks, how they were terrible, so terrible at that, at that last year. But even more so how they weren't even good at that the first two games. They were giving up negatives and sacks. And as you're going to see in the pass game offense too, the pass game statistic, statistic too, they're very good at limiting sacks, and they have been the last four games. So they're they're it, it even speaks even more to the well. Then shouldn't the yards per attempt be higher because you're not giving right. up a lot of negatives? But that speaks to, to the lack of big games, right? So it it's a very intriguing matchup. I'm curious to get your thoughts on just the specifics of it. I kind of broke down the numbers, mm-hmm. kind of have you dive a little bit into the specifics of this matchup. Yeah, I mean, I think that the game against Clemson, excuse me, was very telling for what Syracuse is on paper as a rush defense, Brian. Because, like, when you look at them, right, from a player-to-player standpoint, you wouldn't think they would be a great rushing defense. Because you have, what, 5'11", 266, you got 6'4", 268 up front, you got 6'5", 219 up front. And then you have two linebackers that are really good football players, but, I mean, Michael Jones – is listed at six one. I have an official measurement on him. I'm just saying that he's uh, he's lower than six foot. If we're being completely honest, right? So he's five eleven and some change, two hundred twenty something pounds. And Marlo Wax, who's listed at six one two thirty two, is the big linebacker, right? So they don't have the biggest 
front front six to seven that you will find in college football. And I think when you look at them on paper, you would be like, oh, they're not going to be a great rushing defense. But what they do really well is they create a lot of movement. They do create some tackle for loss numbers, you know, the decent number there at 44. And I think that that's kind of their biggest, biggest plus as a defensive unit is the fact that they have some game speed. And they are able to create movement and create a lot of penetration into the backfield and make some of those plays. But in that style, though, Brian, in my opinion, why, why you're seeing a little bit of volatility with them as far as last week compared to what they have been is when you are that attack style defense and you are a little bit undersized, if you have a missed assignments or you hit the wrong gap or you do these types of things, then at the point of attack, you're going to be outmanned if you make a mistake, right? So I think that in this type of defense, while you're aggressive and you're quick, there is a smaller margin for error because you don't have the big hosses up front to be that great uh, rush defense consistently on a week-to-week basis. So I think last week you just saw a little bit of an indicator like, hey, when Clemson was able to figure it out, especially down the stretch – they're able to kind of counteract that speed that Clemson has. And I mean, that Syracuse has, excuse me. And they're able to beat them man to man because they have bigger guys and more powerful players than them. And I think that that's a similar formula to Notre Dame is that you have to understand that movement's going to come and you have to be very, uh, communicate very well this week because you're able to get them into bad positioning and just over, uh, you know, overwhelm them at the point of attack with your size and your physicality. I think that's the recipe for success against this team. So in this matchup on paper, I agree with you that the the lead would go to Clemson just based upon the numbers. Mm -hmm. But I think when we practically look at it with what Notre Dame is and what Syracuse has defensively, Notre Dame has a chance to have a clear advantage in this game. But at at the end of the story is based upon what we've seen, Syracuse has been more consistent in this department than what Notre Dame has been as a rush offense. So you're going to have to see what happens on Saturday. But I do think that Notre Dame has the chance to have this advantage. But I agree with you right now, you can't count it as an advantage until you see Notre Dame answer the bell, kind of like what Clemson did last week. And that's the key, consistency. Consistently, Syracuse has been good. They've had one bad game. Right. And now right now, it's kind of like what we talk about the Notre Dame offense right now. The North Carolina game is the anomaly. It's the one game that's different than all the others. We'd like to think that Notre Dame is capable of being that more consistently. But until they actually show that they can do it more consistently, you have to be able to look at it and say exactly what it was. It was the anomaly. And so that's kind of that's kind of what we don't know, Ryan. Practically speaking, could not can Notre Dame run the ball in Syracuse? Sure. But. Also, I would say, just as practically speaking, they're not going to do it, in my opinion, doing exactly what they've done against recent teams. Because the one thing that Syracuse, here's where I think it helps Syracuse, right? They can cover on the perimeter. And when you can cover on the perimeter, it allows you to use more resources when you need to, to play the run. And I think that's something that helped them too. They can just say, hey, we're going to take Deuce and we're going to take Garrett and we're going to lock up their outside receivers and then we're going to have, you know, one safety kind of spying Michael Mayer and then everybody else is going to, you know, key the run game. Because once you see Notre Dame's offensive line blocking down, there's a difference. You can tell the difference when you're watching film of when Notre Dame is running running the ball and when they're running play action. And most Mm -hmm. teams are. That's what makes RPO so challenging because when you add RPOs in there, you're not quite sure, okay, are they going to throw the ball here? The safeties can't be as downhill. 
But right now, when you're playing Notre Dame and you see that guard pull or you see a down block and you see them drive blocking, you know, okay, get downhill, cover up my gap, fit against the backers because they're not throwing the football. Now, hopefully they kind of pull some of that stuff out a little bit this week and and do a little bit more of that. But I I thought Clemson had a really nice inside-out mix last week. Uh, They used both of their backs, had uh, success last week. Obviously, uh, Will Shipley had the bigger game. Uh, but Muta also had, I think, close to 100 yards, or right? I think he went over over 90 in that game, if yeah. I remember correctly. So they both ran the ball really effectively. I think you can wear, and I think what Clemson did too, is Clemson was smart. Even though they were down, they didn't panic play calling wise. Brandon Streeter didn't panic when they were down 21-10. Right. And and yes, DJ made some mistakes and 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 obviously got picked off what, what, two times, three, right? In that three game? times, three times, three times, yeah. Mm-hmm. But what you saw from them was, though, is they said, OK, we're you know, they made the move, but they just they didn't panic. And so what they did was right. is they just went out and said, OK, we're just going to we're going to do what we do. And they kept grinding away. They kept grinding away. They kept grinding away. And then lo and behold, what happens in the second half, especially the fourth quarter, they just wore Syracuse down and put 17 mm-hmm. points on the board on them. And a lot of it had to do with just the fact that they just wore them out. And and I think that was a, obviously a big part of that a big part of that game. Ryan was just you, you if if your defense can keep you in the game, meaning they don't give up a lot of points, then what you what you'll find is late in the game is you'll have a chance to really wear this this defense down because to your point, they aren't big, they are a small team, you know they are a team that you can 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 wear out. And if Notre Dame can can do that, then I do think that that if this becomes a fourth quarter game. I feel good about Notre Dame being able to to put it away if they can make it a four quarter game. If you're playing from behind, then you get in a little bit more of a rough spot, right? So I do think there this is definitely a game you want to establish the run, Ryan. There's no doubt about it. You want to lean on this Syracuse team. You know, I'm, I'm I do think that this is one of those games. I mean, you always want to if you can hit a home run, hit a home run. But this is one of those games where I wouldn't mind early on just to couple seven eight play drives just to get a more pounding on that undersized Syracuse defense and then fourth yep. quarter you know you put them away I, I think that's a recipe for success but it's going to require that you bring a little bit more to the table than just the limited package of scheme that we've seen the last couple weeks right where uh, your perimeter runs can't just be jet sweeps of Braden Lindsay that that's a, right. a part of it I'm all for that part of it but you need some counters off of that, off of the jet sweep. You need to just not have it just be that. You know, have something else where you jet sweep here and then boot away or do something different, right? There's things you need to do. Um, but I think that if you can have a little bit more diversity, then I do think you can wear Syracuse down and create some big play opportunities and put them behind. Because I, I don't think Syracuse is a great come-from-behind team offensively. No. I don't. No. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you can jump on them early, great. But I think it is it is coming out and establishing the ground attack, Ryan, is definitely going to be a key part of this victory, if Notre well, Dame's going to get it. And I would say this too, Brian, you made a good point about the coverage advantage that Syracuse has, right? And that this is just in a vacuum of like, hey, we trust our corners to match up man-to-man against teams or just, you know, one-on-one and just in those types of situations. So that gives you the impact of more guys in the box, more guys near the line of scrimmage. And against Notre Dame, like, let's be honest with ourselves, right? Why in the world would Syracuse come into this football game and say, I need to change what I'm doing from a coverage perspective with my corners? Like, they're going to look at what you're doing wide receiver-wise and say, you know, I'm going to take my matchups with Garrett Williams against Lorenzo Styles or against X, you know, against Brayden Lindsay or whatever it is. Like, they are going to come into this game, in my opinion, and say, we're not going to change what we do. 
We're gonna, you're going to be man-to-man on the outside. Show us you can beat us. If you can beat us, then maybe we'll change our, our step a little bit. But until they can, until you can't, we're going to keep doing what is what we do really well. And that's going to make things, I think, a little challenging. And, and, I mean, I think that this is a game where, you know, as we kind of talk more depthly about what Notre Dame needs to do tomorrow, right? Like, I think that this might be the game where we've talked about it a lot. This might be a game where you have to throw Michael Mayer into the boundary a little bit, right? To get him outside, to get more eyes to him so that you have to get that extra guy out of the box or at least make them rethink their strategy of going one-on-one. You might have to hit a double move type of situation, right? Where you hit an explosive play. Like there's something's going to have to give outside or else. I don't know, Ryan. I don't know, man. You're you're talking about some crazy stuff that nobody else (laughs) in the country ever runs. I don't know, man. (laughs) It's just, know. it's so bright. If if Notre Dame is not able to threaten them outside at all, and you have Garrett Williams and Deuce Chestnut just chilling and being the cool customers that they usually are in coverage, then you're hurting yourself, not Defending only in the passing game, routes. in the run game. Yeah. Yes. It's going to be a long day if you can't make those guys uncomfortable. Yeah. Let's move on to the pass game matchup, Ryan. This is, this is the biggest mismatch of the game. Statistically, this is the biggest mismatch of the game. I, I want to be clear on that. Statistically, this is a big mismatch. Notre Dame's past game has been wildly erratic at best and downright bad at other times. Despite the fact they have one of the best tight ends in college football, if not the best, a very talented group of three running backs that all can impact the pass game, even though they haven't been utilized really other than the occasional slip screen the last couple of games in that regard. And you do have speed at receiver that you do. I don't care what anybody says. You do. It's not even debatable, in my opinion. And not only is it guys that have shown it in on, on the track in high school, but we've seen them do it on the college football field. You're just not using it correctly. Now, the one good thing that Notre Dame has done in recent weeks, Ryan, is they have done a very good job of protecting the quarterback. And so, obviously, that's a good thing. That's a positive. When you consider how much the quarterback got kind of rattled early in the season and got hit and got smacked a lot early in the season. They've done a very good job, in my opinion, of, of protecting the quarterback in recent games. And if you look at North Carolina, they only gave up one sack. They gave up three to Stanford, but one of those was late in the game, you know, a little bit of a different situation. And then, uh, and then last week against UNLV, that I don't, did UNLV get a sack last week? One, did they get one? No, they didn't get any sacks either. So you've given up three sacks in the last four games. It's a pretty good job of protecting the quarterback. So that's a positive. Syracuse is a pretty good pass rushing team, but Syracuse does a lot of things that, you know, they're going to, they're going to do a lot to come at you, right? They're going to come at you with, um, you know, pressures. They're going to bring, they're going to bring their, their linebackers. They're going to bring DBs at times. I guarantee they're going to bring a corner fire. I don't know how any team lines up against Notre Dame after watching them on film the last three years, and doesn't bring at least one or two corner fires. I, I don't understand it. And we've seen it work recently. So uh, I would imagine Syracuse, who is a good football team, will see that and, and beat it and try to beat it, especially since their name doesn't have RPOs to do anything about it, right? So there's not – they don't – I mean, when they – who was it? Um, Stanford did that, and the Notre Dame receiver just looked like he had no clue what to do. Like they weren't <laughs> prepared for that. He just looked, You remember that play? And the safety yep. didn't move. He just was like, what am I supposed to do? Like, he was pointing. Then he ball snapped. He's like, what do I do? And he was completely unprepared for that. And then the quarterback had no concept that it was coming. 
So they're going to have to improve there. But statistically, this is a this is a mismatch, right? And 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 practically, it is too. I mean, you've got two very experienced, talented cornerbacks for Syracuse: Deuce Chestnut, and then of course Garrett Williams, who is arguably the best corner on the schedule. Is that too bold of a statement to make? I don't think it is. He was on both of our first team All Opponent team. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Oh, no, I was just saying I could I couldn't think of anybody that's any like you could even argue is better if I'm being honest. Like yeah. I mean, maybe more like Tony Grimes you could throw in the conversation of as talented, right? Well, but yeah, as a football fit, player he's right more now, athletic, but he's not anywhere close. No, I think the exactly. only kid that you could even really consider is maybe the Kelly kid from Stanford. That's that's really that's really the only one that I even I'd even have a conversation with you about to be honest with you at this point in time. But uh, but I don't even know if I'd go. I mean, nobody at USC is, nobody at Boston College is in that conversation. Nobody at Clemson's in that conversation. Nobody at Navy's in that conversation. So I, I, I think I think I would say he is. I think you can at least make a case. There may be some people that like, I'm, you know, one of the kids from Ohio State. I don't know why you'd want to make that case, but you never know. Yeah. Obviously, you, you mentioned Tony Grimes just being athletic. But mm-hmm. as far as just all the other aspects going to, I think the Kelly kid from Stanford is probably the only one that you could have this conversation about. But even with the – and the, I guess we talked about the pass rush, Ryan. I think the fact that they've been so good at protecting the quarterback only adds to what, the frustration of why the pass game hasn't been as good. Now, here's the yeah. interesting thing. The touchdown-to-interception ratio the last four games has been pretty good. They've mm-hmm. thrown nine touchdowns and, and, two inter- and, two tu- and two interceptions in the last four games. So, like, that part of it looks good. Obviously, what we saw against North Carolina and BYU was good, but then it just goes away. You know, and that's that's the thing. It's like it just disappears. You become a completely different team. You the, the running back you aspects that you utilize so effectively against North Carolina Cal kind of slowly disappears. You know, your quarterback becomes less and less confident. I don't know how Drew Pine gets less confident the more he plays, but that's what we're seeing. Now you hope that he bounces back. I had somebody asked in the chat, do I think his his erratic play had something to do with getting hit? His erratic play began before he got hit. That was late in the first half. So I don't think that's the case. I, I He didn't really throw that much in the second half. I mean, he didn't really throw a whole lot after that particular play. So those are the things you have to look at, Ryan, and say, does Notre Dame have some matchup advantages they can exploit? I do think they can. I think there's some things yeah. they can do at the safety level. That's what I was going to say earlier, Ryan. I think one thing that has made their pass defense even better, even though there's some errors I think Notre Dame can exploit, where Syracuse has gotten a lot better in the secondary this year compared to last year, is their safety coverage is a lot better, a lot better, which allows them to do more things man coverage-wise when they want to 
that can take some of those things away. That combined with the range of their defense also, their safeties and their linebackers are both very rangy, which Mm -hmm. also makes their zone coverages effective because they can cover a lot of ground. So they're a hard team to pass on if you don't have dudes or if you're not real smart and the timing isn't there. But I think there's some things that they can do, Ryan, in this matchup. But on paper, it's, it's advantage Syracuse in a big, 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 big way. Yeah, no, it's it's not even close on paper. I mean, Syracuse has not only the two good corners that you talked about, but the two safeties that you just mentioned, Elijah Clark and and uh, uh, Carter, whose first name is escaping for some some reason. They're both a uh, Jihad Carter, excuse me. Mm-hmm. All good football players. And the one thing I like most about Michael Jones, Brian, is that he's a really good zone dropper, man. Like they do some like Tampa two stuff with him at times, where he drops in the middle of the field. I'm like, he looks very very comfortable in that type of role. So they have a lot of good coverage players. And, but the the thing that I mentioned yesterday that I want to harp on is I don't think this is a game that, that you – look, you have to create some explosive plays outside, whether that is putting Michael Mayer out there to try to give them a different look or just Lorenzo Styles and Brayden Lindsay making a play or, what, or Tobias Merriweather, whoever it is. You have to create a couple plays. But my big question, Mark, and I talked about it yesterday, was – how are you going to defend Michael Mayer? How are you going to do that? Yeah. And how are you going to defend these running backs if you start to get them more involved in the passing game like we saw be successful early on in the season? Because while, I, I, I mean, 100%, Clark and Jihad Carter are very good football players, they're more zone coverage players, right? Like they're not really man-to-man coverage guys. So are you going to bring them down to defend a Michael Mayer in the slot if that's kind of your – your thought process, are you going to let Michael Jones have a little bit of that conversation? Is the rover Justin Barron going to be a guy that you're going to trust in that situation? Are you going to throw multiple things at him? I want to know what the Michael Mayer plan this week is because we've seen teams, some have had good Michael Mayer plans for the most part. Some have had really bad Michael Mayer plans. I feel like there hasn't really been a team that's been like in between. Either it's been Mm -hmm. good plan, bad plan. So I'm curious to see what their Michael Mayer plan is. But even more than that, I am really curious to see how Notre Dame attacks Syracuse in the pa- uh, with their running backs in the passing game. I think that that could be a sneaky X factor in this football game. And I want to see it because, again, I think that there are a lot of good players in that secondary and on the second level. But I don't think th- outside of the two corners, I don't think they have a lot of great man-to-man cover guys, right? Like I don't know if the- if them having Marlo Wax one-on-one against Michael Mayer is going to be a good recipe for success. So what's the plan against Mayer? What's the plan against the running backs? That's what I'm looking forward to, Brian, outside of creating a couple plays outside. However you do that, we'll see. But they need to create a couple explosive plays in that department. I need to respond to something in the chat. It's from Wayne Miller. You guys are asking a lot of ifs. Do you really think anything will change? What are we supposed to do, Wayne? Do you want us to get on here every day and say, hey, guys, nothing's going to change. This is going to suck, so just get ready to brace yourself for Saturday. Our job is not to change things. Our job is not to call plays. Our job is not to do that. Our job is to analyze the team and tell you this is who Syracuse is. This is who Notre Dame is. This is what Notre Dame needs to do to have success. Okay, so, yes, there's going to be ifs because, A, the game hasn't been played yet. There's always ifs going into a game. If this guy, if that, that's for everybody. Everybody in college football, until the game is played, it's all—it's nothing but ifs, number one. And number two, I, I don't know what Notre Dame is going to do. I don't coach at Notre Dame, but we're going to tell you what they need to do, and that's what this show is about, right? And every time you're doing a preview, it's ifs. 
there's a lot. If we were covering Syracuse, there'd be a lot of ifs. If your defensive line can hold up, you know, if your safeties can figure out a way to stop Michael Mayer, if you can protect against certain things the Notre Dame can do, if you can put pressure on the quarterback, there's a lot of ifs. That's what a preview is. And so, no, I don't have a clue if they're going to change anything. I have no idea. I'm not optimistic, but that doesn't mean we're going to not do our job because they're not doing theirs. So, you know, I just take take that however it's it's going to go, Ryan. There's For me, there's four things that are going to determine the success in the pass game for me. Number one, because Syracuse does a lot of four, four cover four on the field, I do think there's some opportunities for some RPO success if you're creative with it. Now, the counter argument to that is this. They are very good, and you mentioned it the other day. They're very good at coming up against that stuff. Purdue tried to throw a lot of perimeter screens, and they came up and blew a lot of them up because they come up aggressively. But to me, if you show a willingness to throw the perimeter stuff, the RPO, the perimeter screens, even if you call some perimeter screens, but if you're willing to run that stuff and get them to aggressively attack it, I do think you can, you'll can. you have some opportunities to hit some stuff down the field on them because they're very aggressive coming downhill. And I think they're going to be especially aggressive against Notre Dame because of the way Notre Dame plays. This is where knowing who you are is going to be important when it comes to attacking what the other team is going to do. I know this is who we are. This is our tendency. This is who we are. This is how every team has defended us. Safety is less than 10 yards away from the ball in a lot of different instances. All those type of things uh, are, are kind of part of who you are, right? So use that to your advantage. Set that up. So I think number one is the RPO game and then having some stuff that you can immediately go to off of it, number one. Number two, using Michael Mayer to your advantage. There are some things they can do, and this is going to kind of go with 12 personnel as well. You have to be willing to throw the ball out of 12 personnel more effectively and with more variety. I definitely think there's some stuff they can do against 12 personnel, Ryan. The way that Syracuse plays 12 personnel, you can do things where you can isolate that backside safety, much like they did against Stanford, and have some one-on-ones to the field that create some opportunities, especially in the slot and especially to the running backs. So I definitely think there's some stuff there uh, that you can do out of 12 personnel, and um, that includes you're going to have to use Mitchell Evans in the pass game. You're going to have to use Mitchell Evans in the pass game, and I'm talking about down the field. I think that's where they can steal some yards, in my opinion, is getting Mitchell Evans off some sort of play action, you know, with a, with Michael Mayer being used as a decoy, maybe running a crossing route from them being on the opposite sides. Maybe you do something where, you know, you have Michael Mayer be on the line and Mitchell Evans off and Mayer runs just a wide fade right now. And you, you know, they're going to get three guys running with them. And then maybe, you, you know, bring May, you know, bring Mitchell Evans on kind of a wide fade, or maybe bring Mitchell Evans from the backside on a drag route when there's a lot of things you can do that I think you're going to have to try to steal some yards with him. And I think that's going to be one of those things that, that could, could be a big part of this game. And then the last part of it is you're going to have to be willing to throw the ball outside. You, 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 you can't avoid that part of the field. They have avoided that part of the field against far inferior teams. If you are not willing to throw the ball outside more and design more outside shots, which if you're going to take a – you know, a six foot guy against a six foot guy. That's not a matchup I love. Right. But this is a game. I'm going to say it again. And, and no, I don't have a lot of faith that they're going to do this, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to remain optimistic. 
But this is a game where a Deion Colsey and a Tobias Merriweather can be very impactful. Or to your point, Ryan, throw Michael Mayer out there and see how they line up. If they put a corner on them, throw it up. You know, yep. um, you know, those are the things that you that you that you can do. And so if you can if you can do those things and attack those things, then that forces them to defend a little bit more. And that's where those fourth quarter, third and fourth quarter creases can open up for some big runs. Those are the things they can do in the pass game, Ryan, that can have some success against what Syracuse is. And again, when we talk success against the Syracuse defense, it means completing passes for seven yards, completing passes for eight, nine yards. It means being efficient and then hoping to create some big play opportunities. It's not dropping back, throwing the ball 50 times for 500 yards. That's mm-hmm. not what we're talking about. If that if, if they throw for 400 yards, uh, part of me thinks that that's probably a bad thing. It means because they can't run the football. So I think for me, if they can do those things to really finally force them to defend the width of the field all the way down, then I think this could be some have some success. Because Ryan, I'm going to ask you, how many Mm -hmm. throws can you remember off the top of your head Notre Dame completing outside the numbers this season? It's not many. No, it's not. Not many. I've hit a couple like wide fades, you know, a couple, you know, Michael Mayer on a wheel route last week, a couple running back stuff. They don't complete a lot of balls outside. So again, it's another example of it's a lot easier to defend Notre Dame inside the numbers, which means you can scrunch everything down, which explains why they're hard to rip off the big runs because there's always somebody there to kind of close on you. So those are things I think they they can do. Whether or not they will do it, is this easy? No, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. This is a this is a good and here's the crazy thing too, right? When you look at the yards per game, like that's a that's a it's pretty to me, it's pretty indicative of who they are because mm-hmm. they have the game where they held Wagner to 19 yards. That pads the numbers a little bit. But then also the Purdue game where Purdue passed for 424 yards, those two things balance each other out a little bit. A lot of those right. Purdue yards were like late in the game. Uh and then when you look at Syracuse too, I mean they've 197 to Louisville, 105 to UConn, 138 to Virginia, 160 to NC State, 157 to Clemson. They've given up five touchdown passes all year. Three of them were, by, were Purdue, and they've picked off seven passes. So they've been consistently pretty good. The only team that went for over uh, over eight – actually only – I mean, Purdue went for 7.6 yards per attempt. The only other team higher than that was Louisville in the opener who went for 8.6. But Louisville threw zero touchdowns and mm. two picks. So – Yep. You know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, 3.6 against Virginia, 5.5 against UConn, 5.2 against NC State, 6.3 against against them. That, that You have to be willing to be patient and get the ball outside. Four-yard gain, six-yard gain, five-yard gain, three-yard gain, two-yard gain on some perimeter passes. Because Coach Freeman said something yesterday, Ryan. And it's true. It's true also here. And he said jet sweeps he views as an extension of the run game. I agree wholeheartedly. But you know what sure. also to me yeah. is an extension of the run game and what I count as a run play? A five-yard outcut off RPO. RPO. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, because yep. sometimes, hey, you're not going to lose your your mind if you only gain two yards on a run play, right? You shouldn't get, you shouldn't lose your mind if you throw a bubble screen and only gets two yards. Because, again, you're moving the change. You're forcing it to, to defend the width, and eventually it's something's going to open up. But then if they're coming down that hard, to blow up a bubble screen for a two-yard gain, there's something you can do off of that to take advantage of that mm-hmm. if you're creative enough. Yep. So 
I agree with Coach Freeman completely that, that jet sweeps are absolutely, I mean, it's considered a pass because, you know, you're, it's a shovel pass, right? It's, a, you're, it's technically a throw. It's a run play. So's an RPO. So's an RPO mm-hmm. hitch, an RPO out. I count quick game, period. I, as a, I've always counted this as a coach. I've always counted quick game as an extension of the run game. I don't evaluate my, my success numbers in the quick game the way that I do drop back and play action and things like that. It's much more in line with what what I'm getting from the run game than what I'm getting in the pass game. So I think that's going to have to be a big part of what they do, Ryan. Yeah, and and I think that the number that really pops to me as far as looking at Syracuse is Brian is just kind of reaffirm I think Notre Dame's ability to create some explosive plays is they are getting up not even the yards per attempt number for a second they're only letting up nine point five yards per completion that is bananas yeah. that is a just silly. Silly number. Clearly, Syracuse is living off of not giving up big plays. And I think that in this football game, outside especially, but just in general in the passing game, Notre Dame has not been a team that has created explosive plays in the passing game nearly enough. And I think that that is going to be a huge breaking point in this game. It's a place that you've struggled, and it's a place that Syracuse has been about as I mean they're second in the country so they've been almost as good as anyone in the country quite literally so that's a breaking point that I think we need to see in this game because that secondary is good they trust them wholeheartedly but you need to make them uncomfortable if you do make them uncomfortable then this the defensive coordinator and the defensive staff is going to have to start second guessing themselves right starting to think about doing something different that 9.5 yards per completion is just a ridiculous number. Notre Dame has to find ways to create explosive plays in the passing game during this game. Absolutely. And they have to protect the quarterback. That's going to be a big yes. key as well. Yep. Let's go here to this matchup. Scoring offense, scoring defense. This is something we do kind of just – we don't spend a lot of time on this, Ryan. Obviously, Notre Dame has not moved the ball effectively all year. They have not scored the ball effectively all year. They're not very good on the red zone. They've only had a couple good – they've had two really good third-down games that kind of counter by a lot of not very good games. They turn the ball over too much. And the exception of third down, where Syracuse is about where Notre Dame is, they are way ahead of Notre Dame in every capacity. Now, when you say, okay, some of this is inflated by the fact that they played Wagner, right? But but And we, we brought that up the other day. But the point that we also made is it doesn't really change the narrative at all if you only look at what they've done against FBS teams. So, for example, their scoring defense is sixth overall. If you only look at teams against FBS opponents, they drop down to 10th, right? So, I mean, they're still good. They're not going from like sixth to, uh, you know, 30th if, if you take that away, right? If you look at their total defense, uh, I'm sorry, hold on a second. Let me, let me just make sure that I, I got that correct. Okay, so so if you look at their scoring defense, they're 10th, yes. If you look at their total defense right now, they're 13th. If you take out the Wagner game, they're still 20th mm-hmm. against FBS opponents. So it, it doesn't really change much if you take that out, but it does change it a little bit. The one that drops down even a little bit more is the yards per play. That goes from 5-7, or excuse me, that goes from 4-7, to five one, and that's a lot, large part to what Purdue did against them. So, and then what Clemson did last week in the run game. So it doesn't change a whole lot. They're still really good on defense, and Notre yep. Dame's going to have to play well in order to have some success. But this is a game where you know twenty seven to thirty points gets you a W in a lot of instances. So we're not asking that Notre Dame needs to come out and score forty five like they did on North Carolina, 
get to 27 to 30 and, and you'll have a really good chance to win this football game. So clearly advantage Syracuse in this instance, Ryan, from a statistical matchup, but I'm going to just continue to contend till the day that I die, that this football team has the talent to be effective against Syracuse. It's whether or not you're going to game plan scheme and execute well enough to a, a, take advantage of those opportunities. I mean, I, I can point out several one-on-one matchups, Notre Dame's offense for Syracuse defense, where I would give the advantage to Notre Dame. As a whole, it's been about consistency, man. Like, the Notre Dame offense has just not been consistent for as good as they looked against North Carolina, it's as bad as they looked against Stanford, right? Like, they just have been a very, very inconsistent team. While Syracuse, even in last week's loss to, to, to Clemson, although they gave up a bunch of yards rushing, I mean, they still held that team – and made them for, you know force a lot of mistakes against Clemson for the majority of that football game. So this is Notre Dame's biggest test to date from a offense versus defensive perspective as, as far as the rankings are concerned, right, what we see on paper. It's going to be interesting to look at because, again, Brian, like we have seen moments where you're like, okay, Notre Dame can, can turn the corner here, and then you've seen far too many where it's like, okay, well, they just took a couple steps back now. Which Notre Dame offense are you going to get? I don't know. I have no idea, but all I know is they need to show up during this game to win this football game. The Syracuse has a good defense, and they're going to control. They're going to try to control the game tempo-wise on their offensive side of the football as well. So it's going to be one of those games where you have to come and you have to play against a really good unit. That's going to be the separator in this one is how good Notre Dame offense is against this defense.